Tonight, I'm going to be teaching from John chapter 21. John chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, please open up to John chapter 21. I'll be reading through uh, quite a bit of it, but um, it's always good to have it in front of you if you, uh, you know, so you can read along. I like to use different, different translations as well. Different translations have um, just, you know, capture different emotions in the, that are in the story. So, you know, follow along with, the, with, with whichever one you have. So John chapter 21 starts in verse 1 saying, After this, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. So. I don't know if we're supposed to have favorite passages of scripture. I know once a month we hear Pastor Steve uh, tell us his his new all-time favorite passage of scripture. Um, I've done that too. You know, there's a lot to like, right? So I don't know if we're supposed to have it. Um, I'm sure it's fine. But if we are allowed to, uh, if that if that is fine, and, and if it's not fine, this is still the case. This is This might be my favorite um, chapter in the Bible. It is such a beautiful story of grace and compassion and loving kindness. And every time I read it, I, 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 I see something different. I hear, I feel something different. I feel God speaking to me in a different way. And that was the case this time to, you know, this particular, you know, John, the story is only in the gospel of John and he just writes it so beautifully. It's, it's just like, this poetic, beautiful end to, to this, to this, to his gospel. And through it, through all of chapter 21, we, we just, we learn so much about who we are and, and who Jesus is to us. And bit by bit, Jesus is restoring his disciples and he's reminding them about what he believes about them. I'm, I'm just sometimes blown away about about this that jesus believes in us right he he's seen uh, he's he knows everything about us he knows everything and he chose to leave right he knew what a mess it would be and he said i and and he was and he and he believed that the church through the power of the holy spirit would accomplish he said greater things than he had accomplished. That's crazy to me. I, I wish so often that, that I would be able to just do stuff with him like the disciples did. But, but Jesus, in this story, he's telling us what he believes about us. And their failure, particularly Peter's failure, but really it's all of their failures, looms very large throughout this interaction. Um, but Jesus is um, showering them with love. 
I muted myself so that you guys didn't have to hear that. Um, he's showering them with love and care. And, and thank you to anyone who said, bless you. Um, he sh throughout this whole interaction, he's showering them with love and care. And he's loving them through the whole process. So, you know, here we have the story of Jesus. He's restoring his disciples. And by extension, and also and by implication, how he's seeking to restore each of us as well. So Jesus had, Jesus, and, and we know this, we know that Jesus thought about us, right? We know that Jesus cared about us. He had talked about his disciples who would come later. Earlier in John chapter 17, um, Jesus says, I'm not asking on behalf of them alone. So he's, this is, this is, uh, this is during the last supper. He's praying to, to the father and he is praying for his disciples, just the 12. But then he, he says, I'm not, I don't also, I don't only want to ask for the, for these 12 for the, I only don't want to pray for these 12. I want to pray for those who will believe in me through their message that they may be one. You can probably tell that another sneeze is coming. This is awful. That they may be one that, that, that you and me and, and the church who would come later would be, would be one as, as I am in you and as you are in me, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you send me. He, he knew that, that we would exist, you know, in John chapter 20, when he's speaking to Thomas, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet still and yet and yet believe, right? So in this story, Jesus had appeared and Thomas, one of his disciples, Thomas wasn't there. When they told Thomas what had happened, um, when they told Thomas what had happened, he didn't believe them. And so Jesus appeared again. And um, Jesus appeared again with to Thomas. And, and this is what he says. And, he, and it's the same thing. He knows that there would be disciples who would come later. That's you and me. And so this story is, it's, it, was, it was with his disciples, but it was, it was for his disciples and it was for us too. And it's hard for me to, to remember this, um, especially after I've messed up, that Jesus has really tender and gracious feelings for you, for you, and for me. And, and he was thinking good things about you, good things, not, not resenting you, um, but thinking good things about you before he died and, and also after he died. So that first passage, John 17, that was before he died. And in John 20, that was after he died, after he had rose, risen from the dead. And he still does. He still thinks good things about you, about, about, the, about you, Christian. And so this story of restoration and love, even in the middle of failure, is for us today, just like it was for, um, just like it was for them in, in that, in that, in that, you know, on that beach a long time ago. This was at least the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to his disciples, probably more than that. But the first time, right, was to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Um, and she thought he was the gardener. And the second time, like we had already talked about, you know, he had, 
um, in the, in the, in the, you know, in the room where, where Thomas was. And here Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples. This time it's by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee or Lake Galilee. And it's very significant, actually, in, in this, you know, the, the sort of the beautiful poetic part of it, like when you really are thinking about the whole gospel. And that's why it's so important to read the whole Bible and not just like little snippets, because the whole Bible is telling this story, this one unified story. The gospels are like this. And um, it's significant that the, the, the disciples were fishing on Lake Galilee because it shows us that since the crucifixion, and, and, you know, even since their last appearance, last time that Jesus had appeared to them, they had given up hope completely. For, I, it doesn't say why, but they had just gone home. They had gone back to their previous lives and their, in their old jobs. And they had just failed or they felt like they had failed. You know, Lake Galilee was 80 miles from Jerusalem uh, where Jesus had last appeared to them. And where Jesus had died and, and where the Last Supper was. And they had traveled 80 miles away in, in between then and now. And that's not a short distance, you know. So they really had to really, really give up hard. Like, not just, well, I'll try to do something else here. Just they're giving up so hard that they're leaving. And they're going basically to another state. You know, they, they were not hanging around in Jerusalem to wonder what was going to happen next. So, I mean, to kind of put that in context, that's like, wow, things are so bad in Boston that I'm going to go to, I'm going to walk, right? They had to walk. There was no cars. I'm going to walk to Springfield, Mass. That's like more than halfway the state away. So they had just given up and they had run back to a place where they felt comfortable. And also the, the disciples, right? There's 12 disciples. We don't remember that number. There's now, there's, you know, it was pared down to 11 um, but here they're not all together. There's only seven of them. So it doesn't say if seven of them were in, you know, if, if they were all up in Galilee, it doesn't say if, you know, somewhere in Jerusalem, it doesn't say where they are. There's only seven here. Right. So they had the groups disbanded. Um, and maybe some of the other ones had given up too. And maybe some of them hadn't given up. And some of them had, and these were the, these, this was the, the worst bunch where they had gone all the way back home. Doesn't say. So Jesus appears to his disciples here. When he's appearing to them, they're broken. They're vulnerable. They have really no hope for the future. And maybe they're thinking, wow, I've wasted these last three years of my life. Um, they're thinking, I'm a coward. I'm a fool. I'm a failure. And the disciples like us, they're just desperately in need of a fresh start with God. You know. They're desperately in need of, of realizing, of believing that they're value and uh, that they're valuable and that they're worth something and that their identity is matters um, to someone, to, to really to one individual in particular, right? Jesus, you know, Jesus, they had, they had left everything and followed him. And, and now, now, ah, and now they, I don't know, now they're fishing. They're doing what they used to do. And they need to know that they're loved and they need to know that their lives are worth something. They need to know that God isn't through with them. 
So early in the morning, and this is verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, children, have you any fish? No, they answered. This was a this was right at the crack of dawn. So this is it's very or very early. It makes sense maybe that they wouldn't recognize him right away because it's pretty dark earlier in the morning. And um, he stands on the beach, but the the disciples don't recognize him. I, I think this is about they're about a um, hundred yards away from the shore. So yeah, it makes sense that they that they wouldn't see they they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't recognize him from there. Yeah, it's about a hundred yards. Um, and then the interaction between them really begins. This is where it really begins. And it's one of the most beautiful interactions in scripture. It's a beautiful conversation. It shows just the grace of God. You know, when I think of God's mercy, I really am thinking of a, a judge who ought to punish me, like someone, something very regal and, um, you know, higher than me. But the grace of God is God coming down to my level and, and giving me something that I really, really want or need, but I really don't deserve it. And, you know, so often, as it is in the case with John's accounts, and with every word in, in, in scripture, each word is, is very interesting to really, like, get at the heart of Christ here. So, um, in verse 5, he says, children, haven't you any fish? You know, the word that he uses in in Greek is just children. It's just paideia, uh, which is a, that's the Greek word. Just means children. He just what a, what why why that word? Right? He doesn't call them men or brothers or guys or you know friends. He calls them children. And it's obviously it's not insulting. I think he knows exactly what they're feeling and what they need, and he knows how weak they are and how vulnerable they're feeling and how much they're hurting, and how much they need to be met with just a, a, a comforting parental love. And so he calls them children. And, you know, he just, he indicates this, this love and this protection that he has over them, something that they needed. You know, have you ever felt so beat down you know, by things outside of your control, things that are not your fault, and then beat down by things that are definitely under your control that you've brought on yourself. I'm just going to blow my nose real quick. Sorry about that. Try not to snort and sniff over here. Yeah, so where were we? Yes, have you ever felt beat down? Like they, they really did. They, I, I really believe they were at maybe the lowest point in their, in their lives, you know, after, after and, and that's why Jesus kept appearing. That's why Jesus kept showing himself to them because he, know, like, he knew these guys were in a low place, you know, and some of the stuff was out of their control. They, Jesus was going to the cross, that was out of their control. Their reaction to it was under their, and, and that was bad. That was hard, right? That was a hard thing 
to happen. But there were things that also that were under their control. Their reaction was under their control. Whether they denied him or not was under their control. They brought that on, their, on themselves. And, and it's like that with you. And it's like that with me. I know that. I know, I, know, I know that in my own life. I know that that's true for so many of you. That just there is just sometimes where it's just the beat down on beat down on beat down. And I am just a feeling like a guilty failure, a guilty, worthless failure. And I just want someone to hold me like a child. And I, you know, I'm a grown man now, but it's, it's, this still happens to this day. I sometimes I just want someone to hold me like a child and just say, it's going to be okay. And I really want to believe them, you know, I, you know, to mo with Moses, right. With Moses, God, when he revealed himself to him, he's in a, he's in the, you know, the burning bush and he reveals himself in power. And he says, Moses says, what's your name? God says, I am that I am, I, you know, which is a, it was a poetic way of saying, I am what you need me to be, right? I'm everything that you need me to be. And Moses needed, and the, the Israelites needed God to bring a nation to its knees to, in, a, you know, in a brutal way, right? The, the nation of Egypt the, to its knees. And he thundered on Mount Sinai. There was thunder and lightning and when he was giving the law. And that was what they needed. And to his hurting disciples, he calls them children. So Jesus, right? He, um, this is in, you know, in Hebrews, it says, he, it, Jesus, exi he, existing in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. He came down to our level, right? He's God eternally, eternally God. It's really hard to, to grasp eternity. It's, it's kind of hard to grasp 10 years, but eternity before the world existed, before, you know, the sun was before anything, Jesus was, God was, he was there. And why would he, why on earth, you know, would he care about what, why would he care about, about us? We were so, we live, we live and we die. It's so quick. You know, Solomon says our lives are but a vapor. And David says in Psalm 8, you know, when I look at the stars and the work of your hands, what is, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why does, why should he care? And I think a lot of people, they, you know, a lot of people who don't, believe in Christ, they look at the universe and they just say, this is hopeless and pointless. We're, we're going to be extinguished like a little flame here. But in, in the vast universe, in the, in the, even in our vast world, God has chosen to care about you. He's chosen to care about people. And I know that for sure, because he decided to become a person he came down to our physical level. He became a man. He can also come down to our emotional level. And he does this here for his disciples. You know, they're his friends. They're his followers. And they're hurting and they're failing and they're guilty. And, and he is restoring them. What does he say in verse 6? 
Verse six, he says, throw your net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then Jesus tells them to put their nets down on the other side of the boat and they will catch fish there. And sure enough, you know, Jesus, they follow his instructions and their nets fill up. Right. So he, he tells, he tells and I, again, right. Cause he's done this before. He's told them to throw their nets in once before. And in this act, he's showing them again, how much he loves them. Right. He, he wants to forgive everything that they've done wrong since he died. He needed them a lot. You know, he, there's one, there's one, um, there's one place in scripture where Jesus asks for something personally and he asks for his disciples to pray with him when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's agonizing and they fall asleep and then they all run away and Peter denies him and, and he's alone. Right. And, and he knows that and he wants to forgive everything that they've done wrong since then. Um, you know, this story may remind some of you of, the, of their first encounter when Jesus is standing by the same lake and he says to Simon Peter and his, and his, his friends, he says, push, yeah, he's, he's, he's been teaching all day. And he says, push out the boat into the deep water and you and your, your, your partners let down your nets for a catch. And they do. And they catch so many fish that their nets are about to break. It's, it's like deja vu. This, this is when he called, when he called them. And so here Jesus is meeting the disciples after all their failure during the week of passion. They've run away. They've given up hope. They've gone back to their old lives. They've done a lot to get, go back to their old lives. They've traveled. And here Jesus is meeting with them in the same way, in the same place as he met with them on day one to, to do the same thing that he, he told them to do at the beginning. It's, as, it's sort of like he's, he's, he's saying, and he's doing it not with words, but with this whole encounter. He's saying, do you remember how it was in the beginning? Do you remember how it was for all this mess it can be like that again. Let's start fresh. Let's go to the beginning. Let's start together again. Let's, you know, let's renew our vows. I forgive you. And I'm still calling you. You know, this is just, it's just a beautiful act of, of grace and mercy. He's restoring them. So after they, they throw the nets on the right side, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is the way of John referring to himself. So John said to Peter, it's the Lord. This is verse seven. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. 
So at this point, John recognizes Jesus. I think this must have been eerie for them. <laughs> this must have been eerie for them. John, John says, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. And Simon Peter, he's ever the eager disciple. He puts on his outer cloak and he swims to shore to see Jesus. Leaving the other disciples to do the hard work of pulling a boat full of fish back to the land. So this has always stuck out to me that he's going to jump in the water. So he puts on his coat, right? He's not thinking straight. I don't think, I think this is Peter not thinking straight because he's a man in love. He, he had failed miserably, but he really did love Jesus deeply and dearly. And, and he was excited to see him. I think it must have been awkward, you know, at the shore. It says that later that there was 153 fish. It's kind of a weird detail. I've, I've heard one pastor say that that's because Peter, he didn't know what to do when he got back to the shore. So he just counted all the fish. And then, and then now we know how many fish there were, because what's he going to say? So he just counts fish. I don't know. You know, he had failed really badly, but he really did love Jesus. Those two things weren't exclusive. I mean, it's so weird, right? Like, I think maybe it's always been like this, but we, we, we see someone's deep failure and, and lose all hope for them. But, but Peter really did love Jesus a lot. He really deeply loved Jesus. And he failed. And those two things happened at the same time. And it's, it's sad that he failed. But I can still have hope for someone who fails, who's failed miserably. You know, when they get back to land, we're told in verse 9 that Jesus and Peter, they're sitting around a charcoal fire, right? Another detail about Jesus restoring Peter. What was the last time that Jesus and Peter had been near a fire together in the courtyard of the high priest Caiaphas on the, the, third, on the, you know, the, the day before Jesus died, the night that he was being, um, being tried, um, in Luke 22, we're told that Jesus, that, that Peter sat by a fire in the courtyard while Jesus was being interrogated in, inside the house, and that he vehemently denied Jesus. He swore that he didn't know Jesus. And then the rooster crowed, and this is just the most damning, crushing sentence, I think. It says that, that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Oh, man. And then it says that Pete, and then and then it says that he 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 ran out of that place and he went and wept bitterly. And here they are again, sitting by a fire. And Jesus again, he's looking at Peter, and there's no judgment in his eyes. I don't think there was judgment in his eyes the first time. He just looks at Peter with compassion and love. He's restoring him. And then Jesus says to them, bring me some of the fish that you've caught, right? This is another, it's another 
just act of compassion and love. Jesus already has fish on the fire cooking. And at this point, I can't imagine the disciples thinking that they could contribute anything to Jesus. You know, earlier in, in their relationship, um, Jesus, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And, and Jesus is like, you guys have got this backwards. You know, the greatest among you will be a servant. Right? They're thinking that, you know, they're going to rule. But Jesus is... This God, you've got some. This they saying you've got some stuff to learn. They know by now that Jesus doesn't need anything from them. But he asks for their fish. He could have had enough fish for cooking for all of them. He could have had a pizza waiting for them, right? But he says, "I want your fish. I want to eat the fish that you've just caught. I value what you've caught." Even though, once again, he doesn't say this, but even though they couldn't have caught it if it wasn't for him. And he says, uh, no, I want to eat the fish. I want to eat what you've brought. I value what you bring to me. And this doesn't this, it just reminds me of another story in, in the gospels, right? This is like the feeding of the 5,000 where this little boy comes to Jesus. Jesus says, we need to feed these people. And this little boy comes to Jesus with five loaves of fish. And these are not like big loaves, right? Like the little kid wasn't like carrying around big loaves or, you know, there were like little snack loaves and two fish. And Jesus just looks with love at this boy and he says, thank you for your gift. This is all I need. This is all I need to feed 5,000. In the same way, by accepting the disciples fish, Jesus is saying, I, I want, I want to, I want to be in this with you, right? I, I want to, I want you to take what I have and I want, I want you to to take what I, and I want you, I want to take what you have and I want, um, want there to be, yeah, I want there to be a, a back and forth between us. I want there to be a relationship. I want you to give me and I give you whatever it is, whatever the little quantity that you can offer, it's enough. It was enough for him. I mean, there's a lot of fish there, but Jesus didn't need any of them. He just, he wanted to have some of their fish. So they sit down together and verse 13, we read, Jesus gave them the bread, right? And you, many of you, this will bring to mind um, the last supper for the, for the disciples, the last happy memory that they had together and before his death. Yeah. And he, gave, he broke bread with them. And this was before the denials and the betrayals and the cowardice and just the failure, failure, failure before all of that had happened. And he, he broke bread with them again. And I, I just, something tells me there's not a lot of chatter around this campfire. Something tells me there was a lot of thinking, a lot of memory, and a, a lot of guilt and a lot of regret. But here Jesus is. With them again, he's breaking bread with them. He's still offering hospitality. He's still serving them. He's still loving them. He's restoring them. And then Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? He used Simon's full name and title, Simon, son of John. That's interesting because in my experience, you know, full names are used, and maybe this 
could just be a cultural thing. Um, but if you use someone's full name, it's either because you're in trouble, right? You know, even w with my children, you know, if my daughter has done, done something wrong, I'll raise my voice and say her full name, you know. Um, so either you're in trouble or when you're in a covenant, right? When you're getting married, you know, I'll say, I, Samuel, take you, Emberly, to be my lawfully wedded wife, right? My full name. I don't, I don't introduce myself as Samuel. I, you know, I have, an, I have a short nickname. I just, whatever, Sam, what people call me. And so Peter hears Simon, son of John. I, I wonder if he's like, oh, you know, what's going to happen now? You know, Peter has nothing to fear. Jesus, Jesus is, he, Jesus is restoring him. And so let's take a look at, at the detail of the questions that Jesus asks to really like get under the skin um, here. We're going to need to know a little Greek, a little bit about some Greek. We brought up a Greek word earlier, you know, in, in over the years, I've really started to shy away of making scripture teaching into a learning Greek 101 class. But there are some times um, when if you really want to grasp what's being said, you have to expose these definitions a little bit. So in, in English, we have one word for love. And it's just love. I love, I love that show. And I love that ice cream. And I love my wife and I love, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, everything. It's, it's, uh, it's a little flippant, but what, are, you know, what else are you supposed to do? It's, it's an expression of strong emotion. That's the only word we have. So in Greek, there's a bunch of words and there's two that are going to be used in this passage. One of them is agape, uh, which, which is a word that talks about love of deep fellowship and complete union with someone so it's the like the all-encompassing self-sacrificing love for a person it's really the deepest and most profound love the second word that will be used is philo and this is a brotherly love a real real friendship a real real love not as not as intense and I guess it everlasting is kind of the word is the word that I kind of want to use is the first one, but a real brotherly love that, that you would have with a very good friend, with your best friend. So in verse 15, Jesus, you know, and we're reading here, it says, uh, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the word that Jesus uses is agape. Do you love me? He says, do you love me with total and other utter commitment are we in absolute union together and simon replies yes lord you know i love you so if you're just reading this in english jesus says do you love me and he says yes i know you know i love you but simon replies with the word philo yes jesus i love you but he can't say i love you in a, in the way that you deserve to be loved Right, I, I betrayed you and ran away and and I I I love you like a brother, but I don't love you like I ought to love you. And Jesus obviously hears this, right? He he's not 
he did and there's no nothing that qualifies it so and he just looks at simon and he says that's okay feed my sheep he's restoring him in the in verse 16 jesus does the same thing again simon son of john do you love me agape again simon aren't you the you're the one who said you'll never leave me you'll die for me are you saying you don't have agape love for me and and Simon is, this is, he's being confronted with his own weakness and frailty and his failure. And he says to Jesus, you know, I love you, philo, brotherly love. I'm sorry, Lord. I've tried. I've failed. I really do love you, but I can't live up to my own, my own words. I can't live up to the, the standard that I set for myself. I know I bragged about my loyalty. I thought I was the top disciple. But at the end of the, the day, I couldn't live up to my own standards, you know, let alone to the standards that I, I know that you hope for me. And Jesus says, and he says, I, I do love you, I, you know, but I, I, I don't love you like I ought to. And Jesus, he, once again, he hears that. Jesus says, agape, Peter answers, philo. And he doesn't, he doesn't like raise an eyebrow or, or why. Why, why that? Why did you, why did you, why are you changing? He says, that's okay. Feed my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time, Jesus uses the word philo. Simon, do you have brotherly love for me? Do you have, does a brother betray his brother? Does a brother deny knowing his brother? Do you, does a brother run away? <laughs> Do you have brotherly love for me, Peter? And in verse 17, it says that Peter was sad. He was hurt because he knew, he, he knew that he couldn't really even claim to have brotherly love. And that was how deep his sin and his betrayal was. But Peter replies, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. Each one of us, when we really look at ourselves in the mirror and attend to the truth that's about ourselves, we stand with Peter here in this, in, in this moment for Peter. We look at him, and we sense him looking at us, and we say, Lord, I want to love you. I really do want to do what's right. I want to serve you. My intentions are for you. My hopes and my dreams are for you. I, I wish that things were different. I wish that I was different. But honestly, I'm weak and I'm frail and I just get it wrong so often. I let you down. I fail you. I, I betray you. I run away from you. I deny you. My best is just not, it's just not good enough, but just know, Lord, in my heart of hearts, despite my behavior, that I really do love you. And the love that I have for you is not what you deserve, but it's all I have. And that sounds kind of pitiful. Um, but I, I know it's a feeling and it's a prayer that I've had many times. And that's, that's where Peter was. And Jesus looks at him in the eye 
and he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, what you have is enough for me. That's weird, right? He died for us while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to become good for, for him to die for us. And what, what you have is enough. I love you. I forgive you. I want to be with you. Let's go. Feed my sheep. Today, Jesus is restoring us. And as Jesus restores us, what does he say? Take care of my sheep, Peter. Take care of my, my sheep, Sam. You take care of my sheep. Love one another. Love these people. Love these people. Take care of them. Forgive them. Have compassion on each other. Be kind and patient with each other. Be hospitable with each other. Even after everything, tend my sheep. After all our sin and betrayer and betrayal, after all of our denying him in our thoughts and our words and our actions, after all the cowardice we have shown through our lives, after our apathy and laziness, after all of that, Jesus can say to you today, I still love you. And and I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to love each other like I've loved you. If you're still alive, if you're still breathing, Jesus will still forgive you. And you can start living a fruitful, joyful life right away today with him. And you know what? If there is a brother or a sister who has just failed and maybe they don't even know it, right? They don't even know what they're doing and how much it's hurting people. If there's a brother or a sister who has failed, maybe failed you or just failed in, in general or, or has betrayed you or God or has denied the faith or denied, you know, your relationship with them, you know, I, I have, I can have hope for that, for that brother or sister. There is hope that they will return and be restored to God and be restored to you. And hope, hope is like a fire that just cannot go out in the heart of a believer. It must not go out in the heart of a believer. If God has given us his son. If God is in our lives, we can have hope. Ephesians 2, 12 says, remember that you used to be separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of God and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In Jesus, there is hope always, always, always. There is hope that just ugly failures and terrible betrayals and, and, you know, sin can be brought back. That, some, that God can make something beautiful come out of it. There's hope. 
that dead, dead things can come back to life, that betrayers can be restored, that failures can be the, the people who are failures, right? Like I, I can be a failure, that me and you can be accepted and loved. There's hope for lost and wandering loved ones. And there's hope for us, even when we are lost and wandering and running from failure into failure, afraid of our past, afraid of the future, there's hope. And Jesus, at every moment, says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's restoring us, just like he was restoring Peter. And he continues in verse 18. He says, I'm telling you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So that first verse, maybe that's a little scary, but. He's telling Peter, you ran away once, but there's going to come a day where you're not going to run away, where you're going to stay, where you're not going to fail, where your faith's not going to fail, where you're going to be strong in the hard day. And he says, follow me. And this is the end of this particular encounter that we'll be talking about tonight. You know, this encounter where, P where Peter's being restored. And then, and then Jesus says, follow me. What did Jesus say the first time? The first time that they threw their nets into the, into the right side. Afterward, Peter is just deeply aware of his sin. And Jesus says, doesn't say like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. He says, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me. Jesus brings Simon Peter right back to the beginning, right back to that original calling. It's the same words, follow me. All those years previously, Jesus had, you know, he stood on the same shore on the, on the, on the, the lake of Galilee. He's weary, he's dirty. After a night of fishing, they hadn't caught anything. And on, on, on that day, Jesus said to the fishermen, follow me. And after, after all that, all that's happened, all the drama of the next three years, ups and downs, lows, highs, being hungry, being full, crowds, healings, raising people from the dead, adventures, torture, betrayal, death and burial, resurrection. After all of this, he's back on the same shore and that same lake. And he's looking at the same fisherman, weary and dirty, after a night of fishing where he hadn't caught anything. And he's saying, follow me. He didn't give up on Peter and he doesn't give up on you and he doesn't give up on me. He wants way, I think way more than we do reconciliation with himself and restoration to himself. And it's the same today. Jesus wants good things. Sometimes I don't want good things for people, especially people who I feel hurt by, but Jesus wants good things for them. And Jesus can and he will restore you. And he can restore our brothers and sisters who have failed. 
and our loved ones who are lost and, you know, dead in their sin. You know, if you're a Christian, your, your sins and your failings have been forgiven and forgotten. And today can be a new day. It can be a, a new day, beginning of the rest of your life. You know, it's kind of, it's cliche, but, you know, this day was important for Peter. This was the, I think it was on this day where he realized Jesus, like Jesus accepts me. And, and I want to follow him. And that's just, that's just the, the mercy and the, the grace and the love of God. And so he's saying to each one of us today, again, maybe, for the, maybe not for the second time, maybe for the third time, follow me. 